Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Um, I know that I'm a stranger to most of you. And uh, if you ask my wife, she said, I'm still pretty strange. So you're in good company. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, the remainder of the meeting uh, tonight. We've had a great meeting. Uh, Brother Allison and I go way back, but we've not had any contact together, I, I suppose, in 25 plus years when I left the area that he pastors in and moved to where we're at. Um, lost contact, but it's really good to, to uh, reconnect. And his preaching has done uh, my heart good this week. And it's been good to be at this church. This is a sweet congregation, a good group of people. And it's been a joy to share uh, what the Lord's laid on our heart with them. So, 2 Timothy 4 with us, if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want to begin reading in verse number 1. And very familiar passage. But we want to cover a lot of, uh, of uh, ground today. And I really just... I'm not going to be very preachy. But I, I really want to deal with the ministry uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ that God has called you and I to as ministers of the gospel. And I want to really uh, center our hearts on the importance of what God has called us to. And I want to talk about it in in very candid terms. And so you bear with us if you would. In verse 1, the Bible said, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing." The Apostle Paul goes on into the next few statements to talk about some disappointments in the ministry. He starts in verse number 10 by saying that Demas forsook him, and the reason that he forsook him was because he loved this present world. Then he goes into the next statement by using the coordinating conjunction, and he says, and here's what he's done. He went to Thessalonica. Then with the semicolon, it indicates in the grammar of the English language that he is going to list some more who have done the same. He lists a man by the name of Cretans who departed, having loved this present world, and went into Galatia. Then, ironically enough, he mentions Titus. He said, Titus, and if you believe in English grammar, as I do, he is saying he forsook, having loved this present world, and he's gone into Dalmatia. Now, when you consider the writing of the pastoral epistle of Titus, and you consider the timing of it with 2 Timothy, which is basically within 365 days of the writing, 
you'll find that it's very, very unlikely that Titus could have gotten all done in Crete that Paul told him to do and then wind up going to where he went. He told him, I want you to come to a different city than Dalmatia. He was to come to Nicopolis, and he didn't make it there. Now, I want to talk, however, about the fact that Paul was not really centered in on this. This was effective to him. It was effectual in his life. He said, Luke's the only person that's been with me. He said, Mark's come back around. He's profitable for the ministry. Paul was affected by this, but he centered his attention on what God had called him to do, not upon the disappointments that he had faced. And so you're not going to go through the ministry, be involved in the ministry, without facing a multitude of disappointments. I've been pastoring over 30 years, and my wife and I, um, we were right with God when we got married. Well, she got saved two weeks before we got married. I didn't get right with God until a handful of years later. I traveled in business managing money for a subsidiary Ford Motor Company for some several years. And I got right with God in a motel room. And as soon as I did, I really centered my heart on getting completely right with God and doing everything God wanted me to do. I watched a dad in the ministry, and I saw the sufferings that he went through in the ministry for doing what was right. He integrated the church in 1979, which was unheard of at the time. And it, uh, it cost our family quite a bit while I was there. I went to work when I was 12 years old, and I've worked every, every year of my life since then, and work has been important in my life. But I saw a lot of the difficulties of ministry in my own father's life. He's a man of God, and a man, I can't help it, he's a man of God, and he's a man of prayer. I remember as a young man watching my dad go through all that he went through, and he'd lay on his face before God four and five hours a day, And he still does this to this very day. Lays on his face before God and calls people's names out before God and fellowships with his master every day of his life. Greatest man in the world I know. I was going through his prayer journal one day and I said, Dad, how many men of God do you pray for? He said, Son, I I have no idea. The Holy Spirit will not allow me to count them for pride's sake. And I said, Dad, what are all these red pages of red names in the front of your prayer, prayer journal for these preachers? To which my dad responded, he said, These are men through the years, son, who have gotten into sin and they have disqualified themselves from the ministry. And some of them have decided to go on disqualified. Others of them are completely out. But they deserve being prayed for. And he prays for men that most of us just forget and wash away. And, and when I learned about my dad and his, and his dedication to ministry, In spite of all that he went through, I didn't want anything to do with it. But then when I got right with God, Brother McVeigh, God really put his finger on me doing what he had called me to do when I was 16 years of age that I ran from. I can say this about the ministry, and I I have no sad stories to tell. I don't have any. But I want to make this statement, and I, I don't want to back up from it. I don't want you to misunderstand it either. I would make this statement, in the ministry, I have, had, uh, I have had more hurt in the ministry than I've had happiness. I've gone through more valleys and more trials. I said this to the church on last evening. 
I have not had one year of ministry in over 30 years of pastoring that has been trouble free. Not one year. I've gone from one situation to the next, one difficulty to the next, one church discipline situation to the next, and one preacher fight to the next, and one difficulty to the next, one disease to the next, and our own personal family. I've not had one year that's been trouble free. But I wouldn't trade what the Lord has done in our life over these over 30 years for anything in this world. Now, when we consider the ministry and what we are called to do, I want to start by giving you just a quick little story. I, I'm not only I'm a preacher of the gospel, I wear a whole lot of hats, but I, I work in law enforcement as well. And uh, here's some, oh, this has been several months back. I walked in the narcotics office, in our sheriff's office, and when I did, our sergeant said, uh, what are you doing right now? I said, well, I've got, I've got to do some running. He said, I need you to do some work for me right now if you could. I said, certainly. He said, I've got a confidential informant I need you to pick up, and I need you to get her to a particular location. We had a large fentanyl bus that was fixing to take place, and we needed some reconnaissance done. And so... When, when I, I, I got another detective and we went and picked this lady up, we drove into this, this, this old abandoned area and it was a little trailer there. When, I, when the lady walked out and got in my car, it was a rainy day, she got in the front seat of my truck and, and I looked at her and said, what's your name? And she told me your name. And I said, do you know who I am? She said, yeah, preacher, I know who you are. I said, uh, I said, is... is is he in the house? She said, yeah, he's in the house. I said, sit here a minute. And I went to the door, this old rickety house. I knocked on the door and the door come open. I called him by name. I said, you in here? He said, yeah. And I walked in and he walked up to me and I didn't hardly recognize him. I throwed my arms around him and I wrapped my arms around him. And I pulled him to myself. I said, how you doing? He said, boy, I'm doing good, preacher. I said, no, you're not doing good. I said, I can get you some help if you want some help. He said, I'm good, preacher. I don't, I don't need anything. I said, okay. And so we did all that we did there. And about a week later, the lady called me and she said, preacher, I really got to have help. Can you help me? I said, I can get you some help. And so I got her to some, uh, a home that, that I'm on the board of directors of. And she got to, to, to get some help. He called me a day or two later. He said, my wife's getting help. Can you get me some help? Yes, sir, I get you some help. I got him to do his help. Within a week, both of them had walked off and walked back into their old life. It was just a handful of weeks later, six or eight weeks later, I got the call and this dear man had taken his own life and had gone out in eternity. And I had the, I had the opportunity of preaching his funeral. What you don't know is this man was a pastor. He and his wife had pastored, had pastored a good handful of churches. And he had preached and was a student of the Bible and loved God, and he had gotten so far away from God. One of the things that God has allowed me to do is I'm a counselor, and one of the things that I do is I counsel men, preachers around the country. My phone, Jonathan's with me, he'll tell you my phone rings about every, every hour or so, and I have people calling me from all over the country. And one of the things that I'm constantly having come to me is preachers whose lives have been destroyed and their lives have been devastated because they have tried to do all of this 
in the power and in the energy of the flesh without walking in the Spirit. And now they're having to deal with the consequences of being under spiritual warfare and spiritual attack and trying to do this like it's a carnal job without walking in the Spirit. You men, and I implore you, you cannot do this in the energy of the flesh. You cannot walk in the ministry in the power of what a man taught you how to do with this. If you do not walk with God, you are walking into great disaster in your life. There is a greater attack upon your life than you could ever imagine. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill said this about the ministry. He said, a preacher whose name is not known in hell is not worth much as a preacher. But can I say this, if you're going to do anything for God and your name is known by the powers of darkness, the attack and the spiritual warfare that you will face will be unbelievably phenomenal. 92% of men just like you, now this is not independent Baptist or Baptist in general, this is denominational wide statistics, but 92% of pastors report working more than 70 hours a week. I work a minimum of 60, oftentimes 80 and, and, and more. I generally am up by 4.30 every morning, 4 to 4.30, sometimes 5. And then I work until I collapse, and that's every day of my life. And it's important to realize that if we do not learn how to manage that, it will overtake us. 75% of pastors report that they have had significant stress-related crises within the last month. 50% of pastors do not believe that they are capable of meeting the job requirements of their church as a pastor. 40% of pastors report serious uh, congregational conflicts at least once a month that they have to step in and manage like juggling chainsaws. 40% of pastors say that they consider leaving the pastorate in the last three months. 23% of pastors indicate that they have been forced out of the ministry at least one time in their ministry. The vast majority of men who are involved in the calling of pastoring churches, the vast majority of them end up fairly friendless at the end of their life. Now, as I said, this may not reflect anyone in this room. This is statistics that are national and denominational-wide. But I think all of us would agree, about 97% of all pastors say that they have been betrayed by someone who was close to them. I can say that, and I think many of you can say that. Now, here are some disturbing statistics. 58% of pastors' wives uh, work to supplement the income of their their husband uh, as a pastor. And then most all of those same women would say that the ministry has had an adverse effect on their family relationship between husband and wife and parent and child. Now this is followed up by even more disturbing statistics. 51% of pastors say that internet pornography 
is a possible temptation to them that they will indulge in occasionally. And 30% of pastors say that they are functionally addicted to pornography while still trying to spiritually lead churches. We, we are in dire and desperate need of understanding how important our job is walking in the Spirit while doing it and following God with all of our heart and soul while we do it. It was Richard Baxter, the, uh, the Puritan, who made this statement about preaching. He said, I have to preach as though I am not sure if I will ever preach again. He said, I have to mount the pulpit and preach as if I'm dying, and this will be the last opportunity I have to share. Oftentimes we approach it so flippantly because we understand we've got Sunday coming and we've got next week coming and there's a special meeting that I may get to preach in. We don't know when the last time is we will address God's people and they deserve our very best, not only in our morality but in our message. They deserve our very best. I made this statement about preaching. Preaching, or the discourse of preaching, need not be dramatic. It need be didactic. In other words, our job is to tell people what God has said in the power of the Holy Spirit who has sanctioned our calling into the ministry of His dear Son. It is... The most important, I tell our preachers this, the most important thing that you can tell your congregation is what God has already told them in His Word. That's the most important thing we can tell them. Uh, there's all kinds of preaching, you know. There's, there's topical preaching and there's, there's you know, textual preaching. There's expositional preaching. I like to add a fourth category in there. I call it suppositorial preaching. You know, it cleans you out. Amen. I like that kind of preaching. But I'm going to tell you, when it comes to preaching, I like all of it. I'm, I am basically an expositional preacher. And when I took our church and began to preach expositionally, a lot of them were not accustomed to that. They were more of a topical flavored type of preaching. That's what they had been brought up on. And I remember a man, he came to me, and he and I are still dear friends to this day, and he came to me and said, Pastor, I need to let you know I'm leaving the church. I said, well, okay, why are you leaving the church? He said, I can't get used to your preaching. And I said, so what's wrong with it? He said, you are nothing, nothing but a Bible preacher. That's all you are, a Bible preacher. To which I responded, that is the greatest compliment anyone has ever given to me. He said, I knew you would say that. You see, what he was used, what he, what he was used to and what he wanted was to be entertained in his preaching. Some several years ago, I was sitting around the table in our Jubilee meeting and as, as the services would be over with, we would go out to the back and we preachers would carry our Bibles out back and we'd grab a cup of coffee and we'd sit around the table and boy, we would throw thoughts back and forth and we would talk about God's Word and boy, how exciting it was. And there was a young evangelist with us who 
had uh, was getting his his ministry started and was very he was very flamboyant and he was very gifted and I didn't know him but he had gone to college with one of my young preachers and he uh, he was sitting around the table with us and on the last night he made this statement he said Pastor Wells he said do you mind if I say something among us I said oh yeah go right ahead he said you men have shown me something this week that I didn't know I said well what would that be he said, well, you, you've shown me that you can actually preach the Word of God and make it exciting. Now, this is a graduate of a Bible college. I said, so um, how were you taught to preach? He said, well, here's what they taught me in my Bible college, the Bible college down south. He said, they taught me that you get a thought. And once you get that thought, you run and you find a scripture to support the thought. Then when you get the scripture to support the thought, you research and find a story that magnifies the thought, and then you place your emphasis upon the story to draw the emotions and the heart of the people. And he said, I've developed that to be able to, I can take you to the heights and make you shout, or I can pull you down and make you cry. I can do that. And he said, that's what the men that I associate with do. I've never learned what you men have taught me this week. I said, so when you and your compadres get together and y'all talk after a service, what do y'all talk about? He hung his head and this was a statement he made. He said, some pretty carnal things. We never discuss the Bible. I said, so let me ask you this question, and I want to be very pointed. I said, do you ever talk about sensual things? He hung his head again, and this was his answer to me. Quite often. That is what's addressing people today. I've, I've watched one of his compatriots as he stood to address his congregation preaching an illustrated message and telling the story of how his, uh, how his wife had a conflict with her father, his father, and how that in the conflict with his father she took her middle finger and flipped her middle fingers up at her father-in-law to which the church stood and gave the pastor's wife a standing ovation. That is viewed as success among us. It's not success, it's sin. It's sin. And can I say that as a preacher, if you're going to be a preacher, a real preacher, you cannot be concerned with man's perspective of you and your ministry you must be concerned with God's perception of you and your ministry. And if God isn't pleased, then it ought to grieve your spirit that He is not pleased with who and what you are. In our text, and I don't have a, lot, a long time, but in our text, there's just a handful of things I give you. In our text, you, you, you see the... I would call it the, the, the protest that Paul makes to the preacher. In verse number 1, he's speaking to Timothy. 
If you research the life of Timothy and you read every verse dealing with Timothy from Acts chapter number 16 all the way through the Pauline epistles, one of the things I think we could come to an agreement about is that this man had a timidity about his spirit. He dealt with some fear. Paul had told churches, hey, you, you bolster him, in the, you help old Timothy when he comes by your way. But he did not let little problems with his personality affect who he was going to become. And when Paul addressed him, the, uh, the, Timothy is headed to the church at Ephesus to take the church at Ephesus over and be the pastor at Ephesus. And, and as, and as he addresses Timothy, he said, I want to tell you something, son. I want to charge thee before God. Now, what is he saying here? He is saying, this is important. What you're doing is important. It has eternal ramifications. You can't fiddle around with this boy. This is important. And can I say, it is as important to me today as it was years ago. When, I, when Brother Allison very kindly asked me in a preacher's fellowship to preach in his church, I was wet behind the ears, I was green, I was stupid. I was stupid in many ways, but it was important to me, and I prayed and I tried my best to do what I thought God wanted me to do. And today it's as important today as it ever has been. It's important. It's a protest to the preacher. Notice the problem for the preacher. It's more so now today than it was in the day of Timothy. In verse 3 and 4 he said, here's a problem you're going to face. The time's going to come. And son, they're not going to endure sound doctrine. They're not going to do that. But after their own lusts shall they tape to themselves teachers having itching ears. But he said, you watch in all things and you stay at it regardless of how they feel about preaching, preach the doctrine of the Word of God. I, I, had, I was in a church one time and the pastor stood behind the lectern and he said this, he said, we don't preach doctrine around here. Well, I, I stayed there a while and I, I agreed that he did not preach any doctrine, but they certainly did instruct us in the way not to do it. The doctrine of Failure is what it was. We don't preach doctrine around here, but that's the problem. And the problem we're facing today is I, I'm being very frank with you. When I started this thing, I wasn't straight enough for some people, and I wasn't, I was too straight for others. But I based every standard I had, every conviction I had, my mode of operation as a minister of the gospel, I based it on what I thought the Word of God said. Now here I am 30 years later, I have not waffled, I have not changed tracks, I'm still running in the same direction I've always run, I have not changed my mind about the doctrines of the faith, or worship, or the Bible, or God Himself, I have not changed and now, the people that I wasn't stout enough for, I'm now a legalist to those same people. It's an amazing thing. I do not wet my finger and stick it in the air at the local meeting to see which way everybody's blowing. 
I, that, is, that is such an irrelevant thing to me. I have the standard of what God wants me to be in front of me. It is a perfection through the Holy Spirit of God to this personal life. And as I am conformed to the image of Christ through this book, it keeps me where I have always been. That's a problem. Notice with me the prescription in verse 5. The prescription to the preacher or how he should handle all of this is very simple. Watching all things. In other words, he is saying, don't you wander through life aimlessly. You better be watchful and you better be careful. Hey, preacher, don't tell me that you're silly enough to pull a lady of your congregation into your office and sit down and counsel her without your wife being present. Are you out of your mind? The Apostle Paul said, Be watchful, on guard. Do not allow yourself to be trapped into some wicked accusation at the very best and to sin at the very worst because you're too dumb to realize your responsibility to be watchful. He said, Be watchful. Then he said, End your affliction. You say, well, I, I, I want to be a preacher, but I really just want to help people. You're going to find very few people you're going to be able to help. There's going to be a few along the way that you can help, and there's going to be a vast majority of people you're not going to be able to help, but you cannot compromise to help anybody. You've got to stay steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He said in your affliction, do the work of an evangelist, not an itinerant worker. An evangelist, nothing wrong with itinerant work. But here is a man going to be a pastor. And he said, evangelize, evangelize, preach the saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said, make full proof of your ministry. In other words, grow in the ministry. Grow in your abilities. Grow in... And I, I had a preacher that called me one time, and this is what he said. He said, Pastor Wells, do you think if I changed my style, I could reach more people? To which I made the statement. I said, Pastor, you asked me a question. Do you really want me to answer it? He said, yes. I said, then the answer to that is yes. Yes. If you change some of the things about your style, there would be more people that would be more ready to listen to what you had to say. I love your preaching. This has nothing to do with me personally. I like how you are. I enjoy it. It's my style. I like all of the wittiness and the... I like the, the slap me in my face, punch me in my throat stuff. I love that. That's me. But I said, you asked the question, if I work on who I am as a preacher... Can God use me in a greater way with more ears listening? And I said, the answer to that is yes. I have got to make full proof of my ministry, not just prove who I am as a person. I don't even like people. Did you hear what I said? I don't like people. I don't like people. Here's what I told church. I said, as long as me and the Holy Ghost are okay, me and you are okay. But if me and the Holy Ghost are at odds, you're in trouble. I'm not such not a people person. But I've got to overcome that because I am a minister of Jesus Christ the Lord. Hey, I'm done. 
Uh, pastor told me to be done in 30 minutes. There's a lot. Every one of us could say and every one of us could tag out and say something more along these lines. But you have to preach not about the Word. You've got to preach the Word. And you have to be able to do it. Come on, Pastor. Any time you're called on. I was at Tabernacle Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina several years ago. I was there just to listen. I came in, and a nationally known name, you, you would know his name if I called it. He was, he was headlining the meeting that night. And I noticed I didn't see him, which for him was not normal. I, that wasn't, I mean, that was what he would do, just walk in at the last minute. But we got started, and the pastor walked down. He said, Brother Wells, so-and-so's not here. I said, I said, notice that. Good luck. To which he responded, you're up in five minutes. I said, absolutely, I'm up in five minutes. Put me there. I was already ready to preach. I didn't have to have another 24 hours to prepare myself. You must be ready at a moment's notice to do the calling God has given you. God bless you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541 Harrisburg, Pennsylvania 17112 and visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.